0: Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hover. This episode is after my own heart. Dr. Kim Williams is Chief of the Division of Cardiology at Rush University, and he specializes in cardiology, prevention, and cardiac imaging. He also serves as Associate Dean for Faculty Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Rush, where he focuses on recruitment and retention of underrepresented minorities and women. He is also the founder of the Urban Cardiology Initiative in Detroit to reduce ethnic heart care disparities and continues community-based efforts in Chicago at Rush. You might be surprised how this educator, researcher, and physician chooses himself. Take a listen to find out how he does it. Dr. Kim Williams, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's an amazing honor. Thank you very much for having me.
0: We have been colleagues and friends for many years. We've run into each other at conferences, we've spoken at the same events, and we are very much on the same page about nutrition, fitness, and lifestyle, of course. But the way I first learned about your work was a meme that I saw, and it had a picture of your face and a quote from you that was apparently stated during your term as the president of the American College of Cardiology. And I love this. You apparently said... There are two kinds of cardiologists, vegans and ones who haven't read the data. <laughs> Pray tell how you ended up with that bold but obviously accurate philosophy.
1: Interestingly enough, at the time, it was kind of a joke. <laughs> and, and I'm really sorry to say that over the past six years, it becomes less and less of a joke. Uh, as my friends getting yeah, up to be my age um with whom uh I've shared so many leadership events gone to dinners uh and them have them actually look at what I'm eating and have a discussion about what they're eating and then they have a heart attack and some of them have died and uh one of them died twice meaning that um he was resuscitated uh and both times and he's actually doing okay um but if your wife wasn't with you on the lawnmower uh, when you had the sudden cardiac death, it, uh, it really is a problem. And so it's happened so many times that, um, although initially I was sort of joking about, um, you know, sort of this, the state of cardiology and our focus on management, which we do really well. Uh, and people, including me, have shown the slide, you know, uh, that what we're really doing is mopping up the floor instead of turning off the faucet. I have to say, over my you know, it's career in cardiology, the mobs have gotten really good. We've got some fantastic (laughs) mobs, But at some point we have to take uh, prevention very seriously and apply it to everyone, including ourselves. And so I really was sort of digging at my colleagues to at least investigate lifestyle stuff, Uh, but it's not a dig anymore. It has had too many episodes of too many people uh, having a bad outcome. And at the same time, when a, a physician tells a patient after their stent, which I've seen so many times, not here at Rush, but they come to me from everywhere uh, and, it, and they were told, oh, it's not what you ate, uh, it's just your genes. Well, you know, there is a genetic, there's definitely a genetic capacity there uh, to develop coronary disease and, a, and to have it happen uh, at an early age. And the opposite is true as, as well. That is, there are genes that can protect you. We've turned, uh, we've modeled that gene into a, a fancy set of drugs, uh, PCSK9 inhibitors, just based on the PCSK9 uh, mutations. There are mutants running around, they can eat anything they want, and their cholesterol is extremely low uh, because of that mutation. Well, most of us don't have that, and we need to actually have a, a modicum at least, um, or if not the optimum, in terms of uh, prevention, and that really means diet and exercise lifestyle. Um, so, I'm, I'm I'm doubling down on that statement now, five years, six years later, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody hears it, gets mad at me, and then tries to figure out what I'm talking about.
0: Right. Well, so talk more about before that. Like, how did you get to that point? Because you're not taught that in medical school. What, Where did your path come to that you have such a strong feeling about this?
1: So, it, it's hard to imagine uh, considering uh, an elevation in LDL cholesterol, which was probably genetic uh, would be a blessing to me, but it turns out that uh, 2003, I showed up at the American College of Cardiology meeting, got my cholesterol tested like most cardiologists or some do um, at, the, at the cholesterol treatment um, drug manufacturers booth and my LDL cholesterol had climbed tremendously from what it had been maybe three or four years earlier. Now, admittedly, I had stopped coaching tennis on a national level as my kid aged out. I uh, wasn't playing tennis twice a day, but I wasn't that much older. <laughs> it didn't seem to be that much different, but my LDL had taken off and that does happen um, in the mid forties. And it turns out that as in this case, I had already heard some of the work of Dean Ornish about plaque regression and vegan diet. And I had actually seen um, the, the very month that this happened to me, uh, David Jenkins published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, the portfolio diet vegan diet drops your LDL cholesterol by about 30% on average but some people got more than that I certainly got more than that my LDL went down from 170 down to 90 uh, within a, a few weeks of doing a whole food plant-based diet and so I've been on it ever since watching all the literature come in and um, trying to participate in it trying to get my patients to to do it seeing some amazing stories and I will state publicly uh, because we really struggle with this. We struggle with uh, sort of two camps. We have traditional cardiology, not enveloping themselves in nutrition and prevention quite enough. And then you have nutrition and prevention people uh, saying that, oh, you don't need medications such as statins. Well, if I could put everybody in a time machine, that latter statement would be true. You go back 30 years, you change your diet, and then you're not in my office after the heart attack and the stent. But once you are there, then those medications are incredible. I kind of, for for every patient, and they're typically plant-based people saying, I was told I didn't need a statin anymore. uh, I said, well, you know, if we could put you in a time machine, that'd be great. Uh, But we have to face the fact that the statins are the things that are keeping Medicare uh, insolvent because people are not dead and they're not well. As opposed to plant-based nutrition, where you actually can do some healing, uh, you still have a disease that needs to be managed. So I actually put those two things together. I try to get both camps to see the other side, and when they do, and uh, in, in my clinical practice, I haven't had any events. That's hard to, to imagine any any other thing that I've been participating in as a cardiologist where there are no more events. And I'm sure statistically that's bound to you know happen at some point. Um, but we have target. LDL cholesterol of less than 55 uh, for people who have disease. And that target is a real thing based on um, good evidence that plaque can go away. And that would be two of the major statins that have done this. It's the Esselstyn diet that's done it, Ornish diet has done it, and one of the PCSK9 inhibitors I mentioned earlier. And they all have shown that you can get plaque regression, but you've got to get your LDL cholesterol down. And if you do it with one of those techniques, great but usually it's going to take both together once you have a lot of disease.
0: You know, you're the first person that single-handedly opened me up to that idea. Like I was the one going around saying, you can get off your medications and it's always optimal to get off medications, but you really opened my mind to that. And I think it's, it's really interesting. It's like, why not do everything you possibly can to have optimal health? And am I right that you said that you can't have too low of cholesterol? Is that correct?
1: Oh, so there's so many little exceptions to that, but in general, it's actually true. So um, in Asia, uh, women, particularly younger, with a low LDL cholesterol has have been. Uh, there's some concern that it c- increases hemorrhagic stroke for some people in the audience. It's where you have a stroke because one of the blood vessels gets weak and actually bleeds. Um, that hasn't been seen in the American population. There was another recent article that said that if your LDL gets too low, there's an increase in cancer. Well, the problem with that is it's an observational trial and cancer patients tend to get lower cholesterols as they're getting sick and dying. And so we've got mm-hmm. to, we have to make very, very careful um, uh, management decisions, and that's where our guidelines come in. They really are evidence-based. Anyone who's worried about an LDL cholesterol that's too low, um, really take a look at the literature, and what you find is about a 22% decrease in cardiovascular events in people who had an event particularly and are being treated um, aggressively with medications, uh, that 22% for every so-called millimole, uh, that's about an LDL of about 39 uh, reduction. And the funny part is that that could be going from like, you know, the old target that we used to use, 70, you drop that one millimole and that would be down to, to 31. Well, it turns out that People that do substantially better at 31 than they do at 70, and that 22 percent is real, even at low levels. So it's kind of a, a straight line or a linear relationship between LDL and events. And so, but obviously, we're always keeping an, a, an open mind. Um, and I I do believe that we have a, a massive amount of data, but it may not a- apply to every single population. There may be people who are put at risk, and as I would say. Uh, keep looking. Uh, and we keep looking for observations because that's what we do.
0: Right. And and treating the individual. We, you know, people do go around saying that. I hear this all the time. Oh, you need some cholesterol and you need your cholesterol. It can't be too low. I hear this all the time. What are your thoughts? I'd love to hear it from you about dietary cholesterol.
1: So it's interesting that um, when I think it's Neil Barnard who uh, did an analysis and I'll just use eggs for a moment. Um, because there's a lot of industry efforts to try to maintain product and product sales. And if you were to separate all relationships with industry, which isn't easy from the medical literature, what you see very clearly is that eggs increase mortality and that the higher the cholesterol there is, um, the more you're going to absorb and you will indeed have of the consequences. So as it turns out, um, there's are literature, some literature saying that you only have a certain amount of ability to absorb cholesterol and your, everything you make in your liver goes out through your bile into your, uh, through your bile, excuse me, into your bowel and it has to be reabsorbed. And the, there's even a name of the enzyme that helps that happen, the Neiman-Pick-like enzyme one. Well, it turns out that um, you can inhibit that um, enzyme and that's a, Great thing uh, with medication. Um, but you can also change it with s- several different things. One is fiber and just bind up the particularly soluble fiber like you would see in oatmeal, and you can actually take some of the cholesterol and put it in the stool. Then there's a whole idea of just not eating any cholesterol so that all you have to deal with is the cholesterol that's that you're making. And some of us make more than others I'm one of those and so but the one thing that we didn't really appreciate until this last year which i'm hoping everyone hears is that there is a microbiome there is a whole another set of organisms inside of each one of us and if you do it by cell counts uh we're actually about uh one uh about 43 percent human (laughs) believe it or not the other Mm -hmm. 57 percent is actually viruses and fungus and bacteria. They're in our mouth. They're in our nose. They're on our skin. They're in our bowel. Well, it turns out the ones in the bowel actually determine a lot of the diseases. And anyone who's interested in this, um, you got to kind of start. I know I'm a cardiologist. I know I'm dealing with all these cardiac risk factors, all of which are related to the microbiome. But I'm even more impressed with the effect on chronic kidney disease and the brain. Multiple sclerosis, and I know Sarej Sanchez, uh, who's famous for uh, the movie on um, multiple sclerosis, getting better with a plant-based diet. There are a lot of things that have gotten better with a plant-based diet where we didn't know exactly why, but now we're getting some of the ideas of why. People get sick with COVID because of their microbiome, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. Turns out that all of these things are controlled by whether the bacteria in your GI tract are going to help you or hurt you. We got a little bit insight into that from the TMAO story, trimethylamine N-oxide out of Cleveland Clinic saying, you eat animals, uh, the wrong type of animals, and you will actually develop this chemical that creates heart attack, stroke, death, kidney disease, well, and heart failure. Well, it, but they made it very clear that it's the bacteria that you have in your GI tract that make that happen. And you could have bacteria that don't produce a lot of trimethylamine in order for you to oxidize it into TMAO. And you can have ones that make a lot of it. Well, for the cholesterol, uh, you know, I would love to know who in the audience has heard the word caprostanol. And the answer is probably no one if they haven't been a scientist in this area. And there's a reason you never heard of it. It's because it doesn't hurt anybody. Caprosanol is what happens if you happen to have a good microbiome, which you would get if you did a plant-based diet. Their, your microbiome is wonderful, and it has uh, bacteria that are full of what's called an ISMA gene. That gene Will take your cholesterol, change it to coprostanol, where it goes out in the stool. It does not go into, into arteries. And so we've been missing part of what, you know, yes, dietary cholesterol is important, but it turns out that reducing dietary cholesterol, reducing your capacity to make it however you do that, uh, reducing your capacity to absorb it, but also converting it with the microbiome into something else that it's not going to hurt you are all the ways that we can take cholesterol and get it out of our arteries. Uh, by dropping it in the bloodstream.
0: It's really quite extraordinary how, you know, the more we know, the more we know we don't know. And the <laughs> more exactly right. the, the question about the mechanisms of action by which a plant based diet is so effective, it just keeps unfolding. And I think the microbiome data are just mind blowing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a one size fits all thing because basically a plant based diet, A, doesn't have cholesterol. So that knocks out that mechanism of action. And then if you look at a Plant-based diet is the only way. Plants are the only way to get fiber, which is what feeds the microbiome, the healthy microbiome. So you have a healthier uh, profile, and so there you go. That knocks out that mechanism of action. So it's like one problem can be solved by just eating more plants. It's like the easiest way to sum it up, right?
1: Very well said. And you know, there it, it is multi-layered, um, and I guess partly because of you know, growing up in the African American community, my family. That whole issue of chronic kidney disease in the African-American population is just so overwhelming. All of our dialysis centers are full. And it turns out that all of the data is pointing to um, red meat particularly, but animal protein in general as being the causative factor of uh, initiating the disease and and then causing the progression. And it turns out that, yes, animal protein is toxic to to kidneys, but most people tolerate it uh, for a while. Uh, Some people do not, but particularly if you have hypertension or diabetes. But the fact of the matter is the microbiome is in the middle of that. How much TMAO are they actually making? And so when you mentioned, you know, that you can start to unravel these things with the diet because of so many aspects of the diet, uh, we have to keep uh, the effect on TMAO and um, that that animal protein acid uh, effect on the kidneys uh, right in front and center. Uh, And, you know, why does a cardiologist care so much? It isn't just my family, it's my patients. That is, you know, you know, and we're, it's kind of an advanced society. We, we shock ourselves and how we're not always advanced, but uh, sometimes, but uh, (laughs) such as infant mortality in the African American community being, you know, worse than third world countries. There are some gaps in our system, but in general, we see problems and we try to fix them. And so, um, kidney disease patients generally qualify for dialysis. Financially, it's about a little over $90,000 that Medicare pays per patient. Uh, And it turns out that people don't, these people actually do not die of kidney disease because they're taken care of. They die of heart disease because the kidney disease changes the biochemistry of your body, endothelin levels, your high calcium product, all these things including the high blood pressure that and the volume overload that actually stresses your heart and they end up dying of heart disease more often than not. Well, all of this, all of the cardiology and the cardiorenal diseases as we 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 talk about it, uh and all those Medicare expenditures could be completely eliminated if we just uh pay attention to diet and lifestyle in, in general, but diet in particular.
0: Yes. I mean, it's really, like, how do we make this any simpler? Like, what would, if you had to, just for fun, what -hmm. would you say, your simplest advice for anyone, like, what would you say to your patients, your colleagues, what would you say, like, how can you improve not only your cardiovascular health, but basically your entire system?
1: Okay. Well, if you promise not to laugh, my, (laughs) my, my simplest, I, I have a handful of quips that I use for patients to try to get their attention. One of my simplest way of converting your diet is to go to the grocery store, go to the produce aisle. And when you're done in the produce aisle, go to the cash register. (laughs) I love that. I don't know. (laughs) You know, it may be a little oversimplistic, but, you know, Mm -hmm. if people would do that, they would improve so much. And I know we'd make a little less revenue. Uh, in cardiology on that patient, but we're in a pandemic of heart disease, so we'll do okay in cardiology. Uh, we'll just be able to treat more patients, I, I think.
0: Well, yeah, literally still the number one cause of early death and disability. It always goes back to cardiovascular disease. All, around the world, everywhere, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer, and the number one cause of early death and disability is diet. So it's like so beautifully simple if you just kind of take a step back and say, okay, I'm going to eat the produce. And that's assuming, of course, you've got your staple grains and legumes and everything packed up at home, but you could totally live and thrive eating these simple foods.
1: Absolutely. But you mentioned the world. (laughs) So I have to start talking about the world for a moment. Did you know that the United States of America has the, by far and away, the most expensive healthcare system in the entire planet and some of the worst outcomes. And every time I see that graph, I'm happy to share. It's just just mind-boggling and we're here we are in the middle of it and yet I should say that when people get sick around the world they want to come to the United States and that's because we do have an amazing healthcare system in terms of taking care of illness that if you just take take this massive amount of COVID and the number of deaths if you look at the case fatality race that is how many people got it and how many people died in the United States it's incredibly low compared to other countries. However, we still have a lot of death and we still have a lot of disability, and it really has to do with us more than the the medical system. And so the the world comment that everybody should know is that heart disease is no longer number one in in the high-income countries. It's still number one in the entire planet because of the low- and middle-income countries. And there is one high-income country where heart disease is still number one, and that's the United States of America. And it's because of what we do, and some, some, to some degree, what we don't do in terms of getting off the couch, doing uh, much more exercise, uh, involving ourselves in a better lifestyle uh, methodology instead of just, you know, uh, it's interesting that they would say, I'm sitting in front of the television vegging out. Well, it's kind of the opposite of vegging. <laughs>
0: i'm picturing people with boxes of instead of popcorn they've got like little broccoli florets popping out of there
1: right (laughs) we should make a nice cartoon out of that one change the definition of vegging out
0: yes yes okay so kim we talk here about choosing you right and the backstory of how i mean you are You are literally single handedly, like making a big impact in the world on so many different levels. And I applaud all of your efforts at every different front that you are facing every day. You're the most, one of the most hardworking people I've ever met. What do you do to choose you? How do you take care of that, that instrument that is so vocal and instrumental in making a difference?
1: So it's really important to recharge. um, And I'm going to sort of, uh, sort of talk about this in two different ways. One is uh, the physical fitness that's important. Uh, I happened, as I mentioned before, used to be a professional tennis player, did a lot of national coaching because I had a kid who was really tremendous and uh, coached him and his friends to a handful of national titles. Well, it turns out that tennis is one of those things. I mean, we've got some pretty good data uh, for plant-based nutrition. You know, not everybody likes randomized trials um, to be the gold standard, but they probably still are. And if you look at randomized trials that are then do a post-hoc analysis where you just analyze the data asking another question. And that happened with the Mediterranean diet, um, PREDIMED, very popular, New England Journal of Medicine. and But they actually did a, a sub-analysis, a retrospective analysis of vegetable content and divided their entire population into five groups based on the least amount increasing to the most amount of vegetables pretty almost a pure vegetarian diet in that top quintile it turns out that when you compare the best and the worst that was about a 42 percent decrease in death rate age-adjusted death well there's something that's out there that's actually better than that and that is tennis racket sports in general but tennis in specific uh, british medical journal 57 percent decrease in mortality uh, so that's what I do, and that's my excuse, by the way. It's all. About- <laughs> I was
0: going to say, <laughs> you <laughs> yep. validated your passion.
1: Totally long longest rationalization you've ever heard, um, but <laughs> but it is evidence based. Um, and then the fitness has to do with trying to play it and play it well. So I have to run, I have to lift, I have to you know do all of these training things in order to be able to you know get to the ball and do something with it when I get there. Um, so uh, the endorphin levels that comes from any kind of exercise um and i know there are sports where your cortisol level goes up and it's not relaxing because you're you're stressing out um and you know if, if for certain personalities that could be true but in general tennis actually does does pretty well the other side of it is you mentioned that i work kind of hard and you know it, it's hard not to when you're living in a dual pandemic in this case heart disease and uh covid-19 um hope i don't fail to mention that with COVID-19, there is clear-cut data that uh, plant-based nutrition decreases, not just mortality, um, but it decreases illness up to 73%. Another British Medical Journal uh, article from about six months ago that I wish that, um, you know, the CDC and everyone else would publicize uh, I put it on Twitter, but again, I know you're into doing this as well, it'd be great to get everyone to realize that if they're not going to go vegan, they should at least go vegan for COVID uh, because of the increase in mortality, particularly with the keto diet because it has so many animal products. Well, it turns out that that kind of puts more pressure on the plant-based practitioners like yourself. You know that there's an urgency because it is a dual pandemic. If someone doesn't get COVID, they're gonna get heart disease or vice versa. And that you have the tool that will help them mechanize the solution. That is, you know, I, I tell people, you know, pretty well what they shouldn't be eating. And I give them some hints about what to eat. But what you're doing <laughs> is where you give them the details and the tools to make this really happen. And I'm, I'm so, uh, so whatever you were saying about me, I'm doubling back to you because um, you're you're really critical, um, and your publications, and your uh, online coaching, and everything else you do uh, to get people to change what they're doing and give them a chance of surviving both the heart disease and the COVID uh, pandemics.
0: Well, thank you for saying that, Kim. That's very sweet, and it is. We have such such exciting work and so much to say, and I'm so glad you're out there. I love you. I love your work. Thank you so much for being here and for everything you do in this world to make it a better place.
1: The love is mutual and uh, the the respect and uh, admiration for everything that you do. Uh, I'm glad that you're out there and I'm hoping that um, you will uh, continue to keep producing those fantastic books and I'll keep trying to buy them and give them out to people. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely.
0: There's so much wisdom in that interview. I hope you've been inspired to choose your heart and Really keep it simple, eat more plants. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash chooseyounow, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash choose you now to have access to exclusive content. Please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounow podcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now. And I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.